the Lord. I was meditating on a scripture today, because this is not in my message for tonight. But Jesus was teaching on forgiveness and other different things in the Bible, and the disciples looked at him and said, Lord, increase our faith. And many of us are kind of like that, but they didn't need their faith increased. That was kind of just an excuse that they wanted God to do everything for them. All they needed to do is just do it. Amen. All of these things are not left up to God to do. He provides us the wisdom and the abilities, but we have to do it. And so many times we're asking God to increase our faith. And, well, if a faith of a grain of mustard seed will remove a mountain and, and a sycamore tree, why, how much more faith do you need? Amen. They're just simply boiled down to action on what we have. Turn with me to St. Luke, the 16th chapter. I'm going to read to you probably one old favorite Sunday school story. It's subject to a lot of contradiction and subject to a lot of ideas and opinions. 19th chapter, the 19th verse of the 16th chapter of St. Luke. Y'all togetherness didn't last long, did it? <laughs> I guess so. <laughs> well, it's a little better, except for a few that's way back there someplace. Nineteenth <laughs> verse, there was a certain rich man, which was clothed in purple and fine linen, and fared sumptuously every day. There was a certain beggar named Lazarus, which was laid at his gate full of sores, desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores. And it came to pass that the beggar died, and was carried by the angels into Abraham's bosom. And the rich man also died and was buried. And in hell he lifted up his eyes, being in torment, and seeth Abraham afar off, and Lazarus in his bosom. And he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water, cool my tongue, for I am tormented in this flame. You can imagine the torment if he felt like just one little dip of Lazarus' finger in water would help him. We've almost lost sight of the other promise, haven't we? I mean, we think about the promises of heaven, but what about the other one if we don't make it? But Abraham said, Son, remember when thou in thy lifetime receiveth good things, and likewise Lazarus evil things. But now he is comforted, thou art tormented. And beside all of this, between us and you, there is a great gulf fixed, so that they would not pass from hence to you, so that they that would pass from hence to you cannot. Neither can they pass to us that would come from thence. Then he said, I pray thee, therefore, Father, that thou wouldest send him to my father's house. For I have five brethren, that he may testify unto them, lest they also come into this place of torment. Abraham said unto him, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. 
And he said, Nay, Father Abraham, but if one went unto them from the dead, they will repent. He said unto him, If they hear not Moses and the prophets, neither they will they be persuaded, though one rose from the dead. And that was carried out, of course, when Jesus rose, and they did not believe him. I want to lay a foundation for this parable, the things that I want to get to you tonight. I picked up a book that they send to us, a magazine, and it talked about psychologists and physiologists to talk about a phenomena that they call habituation. That's a good word for your vocabulary. Write it down. H-A-B-I-T-U-A-T-I-O-N. Habituation. You drop a frog in boiling water and it'll hop out immediately. And so would you. Drop it in comfortable water and increase the temperature slowly. And the frog will be swimming in boiling water before he realizes it. It has become habituated. Scientists have measured the effects of habituation. You write that down, Jack? In the laboratory. For example, you repeat a sharp noise every five seconds. Then measure the effects on your consciousness. Your body will react dramatically and drastically at the first sound. The second will make less of an impression, and the third still less as you become habituated to that sound. I'm going someplace, so stay with me. Some of you are already ahead of me, and some of you don't have the foggiest notion of where I'm at and where I'm going. All right, stay with me. In more familiar terms, you would say that you have become accustomed to the noise. Just like the frog had become accustomed to the water. As his water temperature rose, it did his. Now, if you was to close your eyes, and I ask you to describe this room in detail, you would not be able to do so too well. Why? Because you've grown so accustomed to this place that you no longer really see it. Also, they said there's a reverse effect called the Bowery L effect used to be a noisy elevator train used to run along the 3rd Avenue in New York City after that was demolished and destroyed the people began to call the police department about hearing some very unusual noises they checked those out they come to find out just about the time that the train used to run is when they would call in about the unusual noises what they were hearing was the absence of the noise of the train. They had become habituated, used to that particular sound, and when it wasn't there, why, they was in limbo. So a habituated means growing so accustomed to something that you no longer realize that it's there. I want us to think seriously about what I'm about to say because it has a spiritual connotation to our lives. Not only do we become naturally accustomed and habituated to things around us, that we don't see the beauty sometimes of God's creation because we pass it by so often, never take time to smell the roses. Brother Jack becomes so habituated with Sister Beulah that until she's gone, he don't realize just how much he loves her and needs her. She just becomes so used to having her around, he becomes habituated. 
gotten used to it, accustomed to it, until she is unnoticeable until it comes dinner time or supper time, and then he notices that. He's the only one that does that, of course. Now, I want us to go on with the story, and you give me my time. I'm not as young as Brother Robert. It takes me a while to get my motor round up. I want you to notice carefully 1920 and 21. There was a certain rich man which was clothed in purple and fine linen and fared sumptuously every day. And there was a certain beggar named Lazarus which was laid at his gate full of sores and desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the masters from the rich man's table. Moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores. Now this is just about all that we're going to deal with tonight. If I had a title for this message, it would be called, Who is Your Lazarus? All of us have at least one and probably a lot more than that. I want you to notice the contrast. Jesus was quite a storyteller. I remember some of the uh, people that went to the college, Christian college at IBC. And they was asked to describe something, and they'd say, well, it's like a tomato, it's big, and something like that. And Brother Coote said, no, that's not it. It's big, and it's red, and it's juicy, describing whatever that was to make, put some emphasis on it. And Jesus was like that. I want you to notice uh, the contrast between the two people in this parable. Rich man, purple, Fine linen, fine linen and luxury. I want you to repeat after me so it'll get inside of you. Rich man, purple, fine linen, and luxury. And then it talks about beggar, covered with sores. Longing to eat that which fell from the rich man's table. And dogs came and licked his wounds. Jesus wanted us to see in our mind's eye in a way that we could not forget. Notice when he talks about parables and things that he wants to establish in our life, he uses a lot of adjectives and a lot of descriptive ways of causing you to see and understand. A lot of us, when we read the Bible, we read it hurriedly, we don't understand and don't see what Jesus is trying to do. But he's actually waving a red flag and saying, I want you to stop and I want you to listen to the first start of this parable. We all know what happened in the last part, but some of us are not aware of what Jesus was trying to say to you and I in the 20th century right now tonight. He wants us to understand in a way that we would not forget that there is a rich man living in splendor, and there was the poor beggar Lazarus living in other utter squalor. Now, I want to ask you a question. Do you think the rich man saw Lazarus at his gate? I really don't see how he can miss him. Of course he did at first. When that poor beggar was first laid there, there was no possible way he could miss such a sight as that. 
coming up from the beauty of his garden and his, his castle or whatever it was, and coming right immediately out his gate lay a stinking, sores running, unclothed in a sense, man laying right there at his gate. I think he saw him at first. Then he probably become habituated. He probably passed by him so many times that he probably wasn't even aware that he was there. He become used to that beggar being there and his presence of Lazarus, that beggar in his need, made less and less of an impression on this rich man. And very soon it was just as if Lazarus was not even there at all. Now comes the question, can this happen to people? Is this just a little story that Jesus made up? Or was he aiming at the heart and core of Christianity? Maybe he looked down through the quarters of time and halls of eternity and looked in community chapels, doors and windows. And maybe he saw something there that he didn't like. Maybe he saw something in her life. You see, it can happen to people. It has happened and it is happening to the church. Not just community chapel, but the whole church in general. We have become habituated. We have become used to the squalor and stuff around us. We have become used to the alcoholics and drug addicts and young people running amok. You see, you and I need to know tonight that we are the rich man in Jesus' story. I realize when we compare ourselves with the way Jesus described, maybe we don't feel like we measure up. We don't live in a castle. We don't dress in purple. We don't have fine linen. But compared to the third world countries and others even in our United States of America, we are rich in comparison to them. In material things, we all have a roof over our head of a sort. We all all have clothes on our back. We all have food on our table, more than we need. We all have automobiles to drive. We all have the essentials of what it takes to live well. Of course, we desire more. Of course, we see other people that said, I wish I had what they had. But most of all, not speaking materially, but speaking spiritually, we are rich. We are rich in the favors of God. We have found favor in His sight. He looked down one day through no goodness of our own and we found in his sight favor. He looked down and saw what we needed and supplied that. He looked down and called us out from different directions, from a world of sin, world of adversity, and we were as the poor man beggar Lazarus certainly had need of something that we couldn't supply ourselves. 
And Jesus come along and nurtured us and loved us, supplied us with a family that cared about us, filled us with his power, allowed us to take his name in baptism and become part of the family of God, filled us with his divine holy power and made us rich in comparison to a world that don't know him. We stand in this day and hour rich in compared with the richest individuals in Hollywood. We are rich in comparison to those that live in fine castles and drive limousines. We are rich in comparison to them, for they have no future. But our future is in Jesus Christ. He has made it that way. I've said often, I wish that I had the ability to take individuals to Haiti or India. I certainly wish that I could take a group of teenagers there. And make them see and understand what a rich heritage they have. Make them see and understand some of the complaints that they have to their parents because they don't have what Susie or Johnny has. And make them stop long enough to see by comparison to it all, they are rich because they have been introduced to Jesus Christ. A greatest privilege on this earth to have an introduction to Jesus Christ. But you see what is happening to us? You see what has happened to us at Community Chapel? How can I talk about anybody else? Do you see what has happened to us? Sometimes fresh from a renewal with God, fresh from a challenge by Almighty God that grips our spirit and grips our soul and revival comes and moves inside of our life and we are conscious of Lazarus laying at our gate. We have been made aware of individuals that have never been touched by divinity. We have passed by them all this time. And we have lived our life and fared scrumptiously as the rich man. And finally we passed by these derelicts. We passed by these dope addicts. We look and snarl our nose at long-haired youth that's going nowhere. And we pass by them so much that they have ceased to exist in our life and in our prayers. I want to challenge you tonight because God challenged me with this. And said, some way, somehow, we are going to be brought back to the reality that laying at our gate and by our door and in our community is lives that need to be touched by the holy power of God. And we are the only ones that can give that to them. But we have passed by them so often. We have saw their plight and in a sense it bothered us for a while. And then we were so busy running our own life and doing our own thing and choosing who maybe we would like to witness to or not and who we'd like to have a member of our congregation or not until we have passed by these individuals and like the rich man, Lazarus ceased to exist as far as he was concerned. But Lazarus was still there and Lazarus still had a need and Lazarus still needed to be satisfied. And there is a world out there that is waiting, and you young people listen to me, that is waiting for some spark 
of the power of God to emit from you. There is nobody that can reach your generation but you. And there are people, teenagers, that's running amok and that's dying every day that you have passed by and they lay at your gate and they just wanted a testimony from you about what was inside of you and what Jesus done for you and they did not hear it. You adults, just wait a minute, I'm going to get you. They knew that you were a good person. You really can't hide that in your mark, so you just well admit it. And they knew that you had Jesus in your life, but they never heard one peep out of you as far as what Jesus has done in your life and the change that he's made in your life that they needed to hear about. And we as adults... Pass by, we have Lazarus that's laying in our gate, laying in our doorstep. There's people surrounding us almost every day that were just like here. They don't want to just be asked to church. That's not witnessing. Let me say it again. That's not witnessing. That's a good thing. That's asking people to church. But you need to make them know what God has done in your life. You need to make them see that God has been the answer to your prayer. You need to make them see that you're rich. You need to let them get under your skin enough that you would try to take an advantage and find an opening to tell them about Jesus. But the more we pass them by, the less we see them. The more we concentrate on our needs, which are not very many. The less we see that individual that's never been touched by the grace of God. That's never known what it's like to feel a cleansing flow from Calvary move in their soul and change their life. In fact, our life has looked so much like theirs. And our actions sometimes has been so much like theirs that there is no desire inside of them or they can't see that we have fared, in a sense, spiritually, scrumptiously. That we don't make them understand that God has clothed us in fine linen and purple and put on the majesty of Jesus Christ and we bear His righteousness. We don't make them see that. We don't make them see that even though we do have the same trial and tribulations and problems and trouble, that we have something they don't, and that's the holy power of God that lays down with us on our bed at night and gets up with us in the morning and says, I'll walk you through whatever calamity there's there. I really don't know. I wouldn't be so brazen as to say that we'd wake up in hell but I'm just showing what the scripture says happens to somebody when they continually pass by somebody with a need. I continue live live in their luxury. Continue to feast at the banquet table at Jesus has spread. Time and time again, we have come, set under anointed ministry of God, and read the holy writ of God, and know what it's like to feast at the table, and don't realize God feeds us to help us feed somebody else. Amen. 
I look back, some of you might remember, I'm not sure, but I've always questioned, in a sense, the amazing move of God in the apostolic church at Rosie Clare. I was always amazed that I knew when it happened, and I really knew why it happened. It's when, uh, and we wasn't always large, but it's when we lost sight of our needs, knowing they were already supplied by the hand of God, and began to get concerned about individuals that didn't know God. That I mean, really got under our skin and in our heart and in our spirit, insomuch that we were willing to put up with the annex of the Job Corps people as they were bust, burst, uh, bust in to be able to reach at least one soul. And watch individuals, although they didn't like some of the things that happened while they were there, watch them put up with some of this stuff. Stuff like this young man that climbed on the cross we had there. And we had to peel him off of there. And then we looked around and he was right back there again. What happened to this young man? He had felt the cross. He had felt what it was like. He didn't know much about how to do it, but he just felt like if I can get on there and feel like Jesus, He'll change my life. And He did change His life. Big James that came, bigger than anybody I'd ever saw, and came and looked us in the face and dared us to talk about Jesus from the pulpit. And yet he was convicted, and he came and was baptized, and come to find out he had killed his stepfather and put him under the back step. Why? Because God changed his life. Because somebody cared. Because somebody died to themselves. And because somebody was awakened and saw Lazarus at the gate. What do you think happened when a guy with long black hair comes marching in the church and runs down to the altar, a name called Jack Hayden was changed? Somebody had to see and care and know what he needed. Others came and lives was changed. I'm talking about lives that had been messed up. I'm talking about prostitutes that came to God because they saw a need. What happened there? Somebody realized that there was a Lazarus laying at their gate and they saw them and wanted to do something about it. They wanted to impart something there and impart they did. At the minute the church lost sight of the Lazaruses at their gate, things began to go down. And I can point you church after church that looks in all its pride about what he has done when God alone has done it. There's no reason why every church in this community, there is no reason for jealousy, there is no reason for animosity, there is no reason for what is happening. Every church in this community could be full if saints could see a Lazarus at their gate. Somebody in a revival prayed and saw a few Lazaruses at their gate. Had several young couples, Sister Catherine was one of them, come in when this 
group of people decided that they really had something to offer. Wasn't so big at that time, but it began there. And they began to pray and agonize. Their spirit was stirred. They couldn't pass by the beggar at the gate anymore. Although they didn't know for sure who was coming in, they knew somebody had to come in. They knew that they could not agonize with God and really agonize without getting an answer. And God began to move. God began to move people in that you never thought would come in. And God did the work. God changed lives. God still can change lives if we will understand that. But as long as we are so confused with our own life and so messed up uh, with trying to sort out things, as long as uh, we nitpick and as long as we do things that we ought not to do and keep our minds on ourselves, as what's happened to us, oh, woe is me, and we pass by that little beggar to gate full of sores and watch the dog lip, lick his sores and we pass him by and we get to the place we don't even see him there. You as well say amen, it's so. And you can blame me. You can blame leadership. All you want to. And we'll take our share. But friend, listen, you're not going to escape. I hear people talking about this and that and something else and it all boils down the leadership is to blame. I was, I'm not going to tell you where it was at, but I was in a place just this week. I met two people that were just passing acquaintances. I knew them and so on, and they'd heard about my problems. They asked me how I was, and I said, I'm doing just fine. God is still God. And this is what they said. I'll toot my own horn. Nobody else will. They said, Brother Hoskar, we have the greatest admiration for you and for the word that you preach. We've heard you time and time again. But he said, I'm going to tell you something. I know some of your people that goes out there and they're always griping and complaining and running somebody down. And I don't have that at home. Now, I'm talking about just recently two people. So you better start shouldering a little blame yourself. You better, better get off your hobby horse also and realize that the world sees and knows and hears a lot more than you think they do. And you are destroying your own lives and the life of what you claim to be your body. You're eating your own body. So until we get our minds and our eyes off of the little piddly things that shouldn't matter anyway, and get ourselves together and realize that not one of us is perfect. We're striving to be there. And not one of us is without fault. And we're going to rub one another the wrong way sometime, someplace. And that not, does not do away with the brother and sisterhood that God has placed us in. And we have no rhyme or reason to spread it all over the country. Because while we're doing that, somebody, some Lazarus is at your door. 
Some Lazarus is laying at your gate. Some Lazarus, you're passing by when you go to the supermarket and when you go to the post office or whatever you go to your place of work. Some Lazarus is laying there that's been there until you no longer see them. A certain rich man clothed in purple fine linen fared scrumptiously every day. That's us. I mean, you have the advantage of opening the divine word of God and feasting at the banquet table of God and you have been clothed with royal robes of royalty. God has put them upon you. There's a world out there laying at a gate full of sores, just would like to have just a little bit. We'd like to understand and know a little bit about what you know. And just would like to have something that falls from your table. In other words, something that you just don't care about. Little things, they just like to have that. The dogs come and lick his sores. Who's the Lazarus at your gate? Somewhere, there's someone that needs your attention. Attention that I cannot give, and somebody else cannot give. Nobody could give this man Lazarus what the rich man could, because he was laid at the rich man's gate. That become the rich man's responsibility. And we are responsible for what is surrounding us. There's an ancient story, I'm going to close in a minute, about a botanist that was studying the heather bell, that's her flower in Scotland. It's found in the Highlands. While looking through his microscope at this beautiful flower, he was approached by a shepherd that asked what he was doing. Rather than try to explain, the botanist invited the shepherd to look through his microscope and see for himself. And when the shepherd saw the wonder of the flower that he was seeing, he says, My God, and I've been tramping on them all my life. Is that a warning to us? Is that saying, Wake up, pay attention, look around you? You may be trampling on a life. You may be walking past somebody that desperately needs just a word from you. You may be trampling on somebody that's nearby and close to you. Because in this mad, busy rush of life that we have become habituated to, we have become so used to doing it until our eyes are completely blinded to that unsightly figure and lays for our gate. I don't think there's one single one of us that can escape this challenge from the Lord. Brother Robert asked me, because I'm gone, if I was going to be a little gentle with you. And I said, no, probably, but I'm going to get down where you live. Amen? So if I get where you live, it's not my fault, is it? I mean, it's God's fault if you don't want me to get where you live, get get up a little higher. I mean, if this message doesn't affect you, just throw it out the window. Just say, I have arrived. 
I see everybody that lays at my door and lays at my gate. I do all these things, just throw it out and leave it to somebody else. But I'm not going to let you escape like that. Because every one of us is far too busy with the things, stuff, in our life. And if we're not careful, and you can deny this if you want to, we come in with a 25 or 30 this year, settle down in our comfortable pews, be sure you mark one out for you, and find where you're supposed to be, and settle in that, and we're going to hear some fairly good singing, and we're going to hear some social messages, and then we've got to go home and do just like we did before we came to the house of God. Passing by somebody on our way home. So interested in getting there sometimes that there's no time for fellowship with the body of Christ. Who's the Lazarus? It's your gate. Remember the word habituated, accustomed to, used to. And remember the solemn words of Jesus. Remember what he says. The beggar died there. Now we don't know exactly whether somebody outside the rich man told him about the ways of the Lord, but he died carried by the angels to Abraham's bosom. And like it comes to every one of us, the rich man died too. All his riches, all his splendor, and all those great robes of luxury surrounding him did not keep him from dying. There probably was a difference in the way they were laid to rest. poor beggar was probably thrown in the ground and maybe they got a little box for him and I'm sure the rich man was put in the greatest uh, most luxurious uh, casket if they had him those days and was buried with great pomp and circumstance but it doesn't make any difference how you're buried you're going to come before God just like anybody else whether you're just thrown in a hole or whether you're buried with great things no difference between the beggar and the king when it comes to standing before God. And it was too late to make any changes then. Our changes has to be made now. Now most of us may stand before God Maybe we've got enough within us to get into the kingdom of God. But I'd hate to stand before the judgment bar of God and have him look at me So you see all of those out there. Those were Lazaruses that I had laid at your gate and you didn't have time for them. you passed them by. You may not lose salvation, but you will lose rewards. And some of us 
actually may lose salvation. I want us to stand. And I don't know. I never know whether this had reached into your heart or not. And if it has, I never know how long it's going to last. But I want to tell you something. I'm stirred in my spirit. I'm tired of knowing that there's lives out there that need to be touched. And we are doing nothing about it. All we have are excuses. This one talks against us, and that one talks against us, and all of this, that, and something else. That's not an excuse. There's souls out here would just like to hear. I mean, you have to, let me say it again, you have to do more than just say, I'd like you to come to church. You've got to make them see that you are feasting on good things, that you are clothed with the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And if you're a good witness, you've got to make them see that that's what they need. You've got to let them know that there's food and water and drink, spiritually speaking, that God can give. Now that's witnessing. Just for a moment or two, just leave your seats. Just come up and stand just a little while, and then I want you in your heart to say, God... I have probably passed by people so long and so much that I don't even see them. I'd like for you to open my eyes to the beggar laying at my door and my gate in my town and in my community. I'd like for you to let me see them again. Would you close your eyes and just simply do that? and really need God I'm so tired of being so selfish I'm so tired of letting little things bug me and bother me when the great issue is not me it's somebody that my life could touch God stir me again like you stirred somebody that brought me into the presence of you. Like you drove somebody to their knees. And let me say this. When we first started out as just a pathetic few in the community chapel out in Old Central Church, our hearts wanted to see somebody saved. Somebody got the message and realized Bill and Peg Anderson was the beggars laying at their door and went there and shared with them the heavenlies. And they responded. And they're here tonight. But someplace, somewhere, we lost that. We become interested in building and sure that takes time. Then we become smug, and then this one came and left, and that one came and left. 
we hear bad reports about the leadership and what have you, we begin to focus in on this. And what's the matter? What is the matter? It's not leadership. It's not the saints of God. It is our failure to recognize our responsibility and get our eyes off of ourselves and get it where it ought to be on souls. That's where we stumble at. That's where we falter. And that's what's going to have to be remedied. And you're not going to snap your finger like that and do it. You're going to have to fight. You're going to have to quit hiding behind this fact that I can't witness. I can't talk to people. What do you think you've got the Holy Ghost for? What's he in there for anyway? What do you think he came to visit you for? And begin to realize that somebody, someplace, can only be reached by you. Let it make a difference. Let it make a difference. I was listening to a tape of this man that had been at a church for a long time. Nothing was happening. He got so restless, put himself on a guilt trip, took all the responsibility for nothing happening. Of course, after all, he was the pastor pastor ought to be able to do these things and do those things. Till finally he just simply got to the place where he just almost lost. Well, he said, I was standing at my church. I looked out and said, God, this church needs a new pastor. And he stood there a while and he said, and God, I want to be that new pastor. And I said that. God, this church needs a new pastor. And I'd like to be that pastor. I'd like to be somebody that could love you enough to turn you around. Could make you with love and understanding see where our failures is at. And prick your heart so much uh, you wouldn't be satisfied until you at least talk to somebody else. And not give up hope. And I know what it's like to lose a vision. I know what it's like for God to give you a vision and then you see so many things happening. And you just lose that vision and say, God, it can't be done. If it is to be done, I can't do it. Now, I'm going to be truthful with you. I can't. Unless we wake up. Unless we ourselves want to change. I want to change in my ministry. I want to change in my outlook. And I've asked God to help me with that. But it doesn't make any difference how much I change. If you're not willing to change too. It doesn't make any difference how much I love if you're not willing to embrace too. So let's go home. Let's have a good prayer meeting. 
with the Lord. Let's see what can happen in our lives. God bless you and remember Sunday morning. And remember to pray for us. We'll be at a conference Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. And we will need your prayers. God bless you.